Blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to Yahweh's law. Blessed are those who keep his statutes, who seek him with their whole heart. Yes, they do nothing wrong, they walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts that we should fully obey them. Oh, that my ways were steadfast to obey your statutes. Then I wouldn't be disappointed when I consider all of your commandments. I will give thanks to you with uprightness of heart when I learn your righteous judgments. I will observe your statutes. Don't utterly forsake me. Psalm 119 verses 1 through 8. Howdy, I'm Brian. Welcome back to my Bible study podcast. So we're continuing our week-long commercial break from our regularly scheduled study on Philippians and Ecclesiastes. Don't worry if you're feeling nostalgic and you're missing that study. We're scheduled to resume in the book of Ecclesiastes next Monday. I love to work through scripture verse by verse, which is one of the reasons the podcast is normally so scripture heavy. But one of the other passions I have is to equip people to open a book or a chapter of God's word and to have context when reading it for themselves. So today I'm going to be providing an overview of the longest psalm in the Bible. Psalm 119 is 176 verses long. Because this is one really long psalm made up of many different stanzas that all weave together one story, I'm going to approach this psalm a lot like I did when we walked through the Minor Prophet overview episodes. So I'm curious, has anyone read through or listened to the entire psalm in one setting? It takes about 20 minutes to listen to on audio or to read through in its entirety. If you have not done this, then I highly recommend one day you just put on the audio and listen to the entire psalm front to back. It really reinforces things and it builds up an image of the entire forest, not just the individual sections or trees that we're going to cover. Unfortunately, we will not be able to read through the entire psalm in this podcast, but we can provide some context. Maybe frame the psalm a little bit and cover some themes and recurring phrases that the author uses. Part of that means that we are going to try to immerse ourselves in some of the scriptural verses. After all, as we're going to learn, that is one of the psalm's chief aims, is to get us into scripture more. What my goal is, what I pray that this episode does, is equip listeners to read Psalm 119 on their own in a fruitful and more impactful way, a way that helps them come away with it feeling closer to God. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. Psalm 119, verse 105. So this is the longest psalm but it's actually the longest chapter in any book of the Bible. It has more verses than 31 entire books of the Bible. Ruth, Esther, Song of Songs, Lamentations, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Malachi, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, Titus, Philemon, James, 1st Peter, 2nd Peter, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and Jude all have fewer total verses than this psalm by itself. So it is actually longer than about half of the other books in the Bible. 176 verses isn't by accident. The psalm is composed as an acrostic of the Hebrew alphabet. 
There are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. There are 22 stanzas in this psalm, one for every letter. Each stanza of the psalm is made up of eight verses. So eight verses times 22 stanzas equals that final 176 verse number that we get. Every verse in each stanza starts with the letter of that stanza. So when you see Aleph over verses 1 through 8, that's saying that in Hebrew, the first letter of each of those first eight verses is Aleph. We don't know for sure who wrote the psalm. Older scholars think David, some more modern scholars think Ezra. You also get some Daniel mixed in there. We don't know though. God doesn't reveal that to us in the Bible, and that's okay. It doesn't affect how we read the psalm. What is almost assuredly true is that this psalm was written over a long period of time by some guy who was experiencing a wide variety of circumstances. Reading this psalm, you will see an array of emotions and life situations, but all of them come back to being immersed in God's word and to finding joy in the God who has provided that word. Do good to your servant. I will live and I will obey your word. Open my eyes that I may see wondrous things out of your law. Psalm 119, verses 17 and 18. So God's word, scripture, the Bible, whatever you want to term it, is central to this psalm. The phrases that are used to describe God's word are your precepts, your word, your statutes, your commandments, your law, his ways, your judgments, your testimonies, your ordinances. Like all of those show up. Some version of these words are used in almost every single verse of the 176 verses of this psalm. By my count, there are only five verses that don't use one of those terms. The Hebrew word Torah, it shows up 35 times in the book of Psalms overall. 25 of those 35 are in this one psalm alone. Torah shows up in 21 of the 22 stanzas of the psalm. So God's word, the Torah, is all everywhere on this. Because of this, it sort of covers a lot of sub-themes also. Some of the sub-themes for this book are exalting the importance of God's word. You might also see this really highlighted in Psalm 1 or Psalm 19, but it's all over Psalm 119. The idea that God's word should direct all of our actions. That God's word should dictate the emotions and the character traits of God's people. That God's word should drive all of the segments of the psalmist's day. Morning, day, night, midnight, etc. all show up here. The idea will come across in verse 164 of seven times a day. That's just a Hebrew number for completeness. That God's word should completely dominate the life of a believer. Another sub-theme is that God's word has more value than worldly resources or worldly treasures. We see this show up in verse 14, verse 72, verse 127, verse 162. Watch out now. Now we're starting to merge this psalm with what we've been saying in our study of Ecclesiastes. See, the Bible is one story. It's unified. Another sub-theme is that God's word is true, perfect, and life-giving. Verses 86, 89, 93, 105, 160 all reinforce this. The idea that God's word should permeate the inward being of the reader. So the phrase, all my heart or with my whole heart, is repeated at least five times. It's not just the heart that is mentioned, though. 
It's also the mind in words like meditate, contemplate, and consider. And another sub-theme, the last one that I'll cover, is God's word being eternal, being timeless. Yahweh, your word is settled in heaven forever. Your faithfulness is to all generations. You have established the earth and it remains. Your laws remain to this day, for all things serve you. That's verse 89 through 91 of the psalm. So God's word, God's commandments are from everlasting and they will remain for eternity. The psalm flips between worship and testimony and proclamation and prayer and outright pleas to the Lord. But all of it, all of it centers around the word of God. I run in the path of your commandments, for you have set my heart free. Psalm 119 verse 32. I have remembered your name, Yahweh, in the night, and I obey your law. Psalm 119 verse 55. How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. With my whole heart I have sought you. Don't let me wander from your commandments. Those are verses 9 and 10. Keep me from the way of deceit. Grant me your law graciously. Psalm 119, verse 29. So this psalm can almost flip between polar opposites in how the writer jumps back and forth between professing obedience to God and pleading with God to instill that obedience in him. There's this push and pull between knowing and desiring what's right and in living a life that reflects that. All of us have this conflict and we have this emotion that revolves around knowing God and reflecting on God's word. And the psalmist's answer to this dilemma is to be more immersed in God's word and in our relationship with God himself. Love for and reflection of or meditation on God and the words of God, they produce that phrase that we've wrestled with some in our other ongoing study, the phrase of fear of the Lord. So this relationship built around reverence and awe that produces a willful desire for obedience. It doesn't produce perfect obedience, but it bears the fruit of obedience, and it definitely creates a desire to be obedient. Sometimes I pray for God to fill me with his word more. Sometimes I pray for God to produce obedience that flows out of me. But to be honest, I also have to pray at times for God to create in me a desire for those other things. After all, those things are an outpouring of the heart, and only God can transform my heart. So give me understanding, and I will keep your law. Yes, I will obey it with my whole heart. Direct me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in them. Turn my heart toward your statutes, not toward selfish gain. Psalm 119, verses 34 through 36. I will delight myself in your commandments because I love them. Psalm 119, verse 47. Let your tender mercies come to me that I may live, for your law is my delight. Psalm 119, verse 77. So don't think the psalmist only wants to raise up the scriptures. No, the psalmist aims to raise up God. Psalm 119 focuses on joy and delight in scriptures as a way to worship 
and glorify God himself. Words like delight, joy, rejoice, and love are all over the psalm. It's very apparent that the writer is not emotionless. He is not a robot seeking to mindlessly memorize verses and obey the commands. The purpose of all of this is to worship and glorify and become closer with God. Part of the reason for joy and worship is the acknowledgement that God alone can provide restoration. The words revive, restore, and strengthen, they paint a beautiful image of what God can do. My soul is laid low in the dust. Revive me according to your word. That's verse 25. My soul is weary with sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. That's verse 28. Turn my eyes away from looking at worthless things. Revive me in your ways. Verse 37. Behold, I long for your precepts. Revive me in your righteousness. Verse 40. So don't miss the connection in the end of all of this. Jesus is God's word. He's the one who perfectly fulfilled God's laws, yes, but also Jesus is God's word. Jesus is the one that we must follow with our whole heart if we desire God's salvation. For us to be imparted with the righteousness of Christ, we have to follow him. The central message of this psalm is looking forward to Jesus the one who would completely keep God's law day and night. Jesus, the one who restores us from life to death, who revives us and keeps us. Salvation comes through faith alone, in Christ alone, and in no other person or work. Blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to Yahweh's law. Blessed are those who keep his statutes, who seek him with their whole heart. Psalm 119, verses 1 and 2. So right off the bat here in the psalm, you get these two words, meaning blessed or blessedness. So take a minute and ask yourself, what comes to your mind when you think about being blessed? Like, how do you think most of your neighbors would describe being blessed? Now, how do you think the Bible describes being blessed? So Psalm 1, verses 1 and 2 say, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor scoffs, sits at the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Psalm 31 starts, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Psalm 112, the end of verse 1, says, Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. Psalm 128, verse 1, says, Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. Matthew Chapter 5, verses 3 through 11, some excerpts from them. Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you on my account. James 1.25 says, But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, 
being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Luke eleven twenty eight says, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. So, do our definitions for, fall more in line with the cultural worldview of being blessed, or with a biblical worldview? The blessed life, according to a biblical worldview, is a life that is saved by the blood of Jesus shed on the cross, is immersed in the word of God, and then is transformed in a way that affects how we interact with the world around us. We need to redefine what being blessed is from how the world defines it to how the Bible defines it. So I'll close this episode with three application type questions and two quotes. First question, if the psalmist is describing the importance of being in God's word all the time, what are some things that you can focus on more when it comes to reading the Bible and meditating on the Bible? Second, if God's word is a defense we can hide within our hearts to turn to, what are some ways that we can try to create that defense? What are some ways that we can have those verses available in our hearts? Third question, what should be the ultimate aim for us when we sit down to read the Bible? Right, like, are you sitting down to try to become a better person? Are you sitting down to try to check a box because reading the Bible should be something you do? Alec Mottier, he asked two questions that are probably good indicators of what your time in God's Word should produce. The questions he asks are, has your Bible reading brought us nearer to our Lord? And have we actually spent time with Him? Do we know Him better than we did 30 minutes ago? So when you sit down to read the Bible, are you reading it in a way where you're trying to grow your relationship with God, or where you're trying to just do better here? And then John Piper declares that we should aim in our Bible reading not only to see, but to savor the excellence of God above all things. So thanks for listening. All of the Psalm 119 verse readings were from the World English Bible Translation, which is in the public domain. All other Bible verses were from the English Standard Version, or ESV Bible Translation, copyright 2017 by Holman Bible Publishers. Next episode, we'll be back in the book of Ecclesiastes, covering the end of chapter 3 and the start of chapter 4. Until next time, I love y'all.